Hi everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of The Merchant of Venice. Before we begin, we just have a short announcement. Being a play that holds such strong themes of racism and persecution, and recording this at a time when that is at the forefront of everybody's minds, after the tragic and unforgivable death of George Floyd, we had so much to discuss that after recording, we decided to split this episode into two parts. So here is part one, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, Ali. Hi, Jimmy. Welcome back. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, no A&E emergencies this week. I did rescue a crow, though, and have it live in my bathroom overnight, so that was quite interesting. Did you? What, what, did, you, what did you name it? I named it Edgar Allan Crow. Oh, that's very good. Anyway, this is very exciting, this play. I'm so pumped for it. What are we doing this week, Jimmy? We're doing The Merchant of Venice, which is, it's a very interesting play. It's very different. It's got light and dark. And when, when we say dark, really, really dark stuff. But I think the first thing that we need to do is really just dive straight in with the plot. You know, normally we'd give a little bit of backstory and things like that. But I think with this one, we've really just got to throw ourselves into the story. You were just saying that, you know, it's a lot of light and dark. It's billed as a as a comedy, but be forewarned if you are not <laughs> familiar with this play, it is not a super happy, fun story. So don't don't be confused with, with the billing of comedy. Uh, Jimmy, take it away. It takes place in Venice. Now, Venice has always had, in a lot of Shakespeare's plays, an element of high glass ceiling racism to a lot of these productions. So it's where Othello starts off. So the idea of the outsider or the person who is the other who's not like the nobles in Venetian society is often persecuted. And that is definitely the case in The Merchant of Venice. Now, Bassanio is a young nobleman and he is in love with Portia. He's in a situation where he spent all his cash, he's broke, and he needs 3,000 ducats in order to woo her. That's the equivalent of about 8,000 pounds. So he goes to his mate, Antonio. Antonio is The Merchant of Venice. Antonio always bails out Bassanio. He's like the go-to guy when he wants a bit of money and he says, I'm hard up, need a bit of cash. And Antonio goes, all right, okay, I'll lend you a bit more. So the problem is, is that Antonio doesn't have the money on him because all his ships are at sea. So both him and Bassanio turn to Shylock. Now Shylock, who's the most famous character in the play, is a Jewish businessman. And they go to him to borrow the money and they strike a deal. And the deal is that if Antonio can't repay the money by a specific date, then Shylock can take a pound of Antonio's flesh. We should say that relations between Shylock and Antonio aren't great. Antonio has always persecuted Shylock. He's beaten him up. He's spat on him in the, on the street. Antonio is racist towards Shylock, as are a lot of other Venetian nobles. So Shylock has experienced much anti-Semitism on the streets of Venice. And He's got a daughter called Jessica, and, and Jessica's really the only love that he has left. So she's incredibly important to him, and he's very protective of her. But she's in love with a local Christian called Lorenzo. Jessica runs off with Lorenzo, leaving Shylock all on his own. So at this point, he really does have absolutely nothing. Now, at the very same time, Antonio's ships, they all get lost at sea, which means he can't repay the money to Shylock which makes Shylock all the more determined to get his revenge on these Christians. I mean, his daughter's run off with, with a Christian man, and these guys aren't going to pay him. 
So he really wants this pound of flesh. Now, this all culminates in a big court. Portia is a character who all this time has been rejecting suitors who've been coming to her, professing their love. And eventually she falls for Bassanio. And in this courtroom, Portia dresses up as a man and she completely um, takes Shylock apart. She really just says to him that he's got absolutely no right to demand this money. He's got no right to have anything repaid. And it ends really with Shylock, a completely crushed, broken man who's forced to convert to Christianity. And it's one of the, you know, it's 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 one of, I think, the most heartbreaking scenes in in Shakespeare. And Portia is seen as a very controversial figure uh, off the back of this. That's kind of the story in a nutshell. Yeah, such a depressing little nutshell. You've just talked about, like, this horrible situation where this guy is bullied and abused and has all these racial slurs and spat on in the street his entire life. But he's also considered, like, this kind of really unpleasant character. And he's obviously super unpleasant because he's had a hideous life where everybody's treated him like shit. So you end up being what people treat you like. Of course you're going to be like this. At the time, I think the main theme of this play, everybody would have been like, oh, isn't it a lovely love story? And, you know, there's a there's a few weddings at the end. And isn't that nice? And this little side character gets, at the time, would have been considered mercy and redemption because he's not sentenced to death, but is allowed to have his soul saved by turning to Christianity. There's so many problems with this play. I just, it really stresses me out. Yeah, and it's so, I mean, you know, one of the big debates that people have with this, which I'm looking forward to talking to our guest about, is what Shakespeare really thinks about Shylock and whether this play is an anti-Semitic play. Because as you said, Ali, Shylock isn't painted in roses. He's not someone who is an out-and-out good guy. You know, he, he, he behaves in extremely unpleasant ways in the story. However, there's this incredible monologue that he delivers, which is, hath not a Jew eyes, hath not a Jew hands, organs senses affections passions if you prick us do we not bleed if you tickle us do we not laugh if you poison us do we not die he's saying we're the same as you do we do you not understand that we are the same as you we're human beings and a lot of people think well how on earth could shakespeare write a a, a, a soliloquy like that and be an anti-semite he is he is expressing the views of, of of so many people that have fundamental problems with with any kind of racism, but it's very hard to see Shakespeare as an anti-Semite in that light. There's always been this history with Judaism, hasn't there? I mean, you see it through, you know, we see it with Shylock in The Merchant of Venice. We see it really. I know it's on a sort of lesser degree, but you know, in Charles Dickens with characters like Fagin, interestingly, very similar, where they're not really perfect nor imperfect. There's always been a big debate with Fagin and Oliver Twist about whether he's a good guy or or a bad guy and that kind of mystery to him as well. And, you know, it's, it's always painted as these characters who are in some way there's a darkness to them or they're seen as quite frightening or they're seen as people that you should fear. And and it's it's always been slightly unpleasantly analyzed throughout a lot of uh, history i think and there's so many different examples of persecution against jewish people in so many countries in the world from the 1500s onwards that this is a problem that hasn't really gone away has it it's sad that it's it's still so prevalent and you were listing things like fagan and, and things like that but actually also disney disney is like filled with hideous anti-semitic 
characters and like notorious for it which is such a shame because like as a child growing up you're not really aware of it until you get older and you watch it back and you're like oh my god this is so hideously problematic like Walt Disney was hugely racist and he see might and you hope that you know Shakespeare wouldn't be like that especially people like us when we're, we're doing a podcast like praising his plays um but you know I know a lot of people do think you know after watching or reading this play that he is and you can see why because he is really he goes to town on this character no, I wouldn't say that any of the characters in this play are massively redeeming Portia is this kind of spoiled privileged sort of princess who you know, once once the boy that she wants and everybody else, the other characters who woo her are, you know, disgusting and she's not worthy of her. I mean, she puts herself up on a pedestal and then at the end of the play, when she's undercover, um, trying to defend her love in court so that he doesn't have to have his friend hand over a, a pound of his flesh, she she mocks and tricks Shylock into to losing it's not done in a charming or or endearing way she she does it by saying yes you can take the money the double the amount of money to claim back your your losses or you can take your your pound of flesh and he's like I want my pound of flesh and she says fine take your pound of flesh but you cannot take it if you make him bleed because the agreement is a pound of flesh not any of his blood and then Shylock is like, okay, fine, then I'll have the double the money. And she's like, no, you have to have that because it's in your contract that you wrote down that that's what you have. So you get nothing. And then somehow ends up making it so that he doesn't get his money and also has to convert to Christianity. And then also when he dies, all of his money goes to her. I mean, what? It's, it's just like, it, I find it a really absurd play all round. Just listening to you say that just makes me think, actually, I think that there's no way Shakespeare could be an anti-Semite. I mean, the other characters in this play are so unpleasant and what they do to him is so awful. And yeah, he shouts at a few people in the street, but wouldn't you? I mean, let's let's think about the situation that Jewish people were in. This is a problem that started really um, on the, you know, the killing of Christ, I suppose, is 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 where this 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 hatred of of of. Jewish people came from and throughout history Jews have frequently been prevented from doing certain businesses or or owning land so there's always been this financial jealousy almost towards Jewish people and that you know the the ability the the talents a lot of Jewish people have of being creative or of making money in, in in their own way and there's always been a sense of it's it's like listening to you say that that it kind of felt almost like Portia's acting out her financial revenge you know Shylock is a man who people go to to borrow money from who's normally probably quite good at financially protecting himself it's like their way of throwing everything on him well you can have this and we're going to write you out of this contract and that contra contract and it's like they're trying to almost overturn him it's awful and the other characters in the play as i said bassanio and antonio when they go to i mean they go into his office they basically ask him for three thousand ducats and when he just sort of raises the concern that actually they don't necessarily see eye to eye, in the Globe production of The Merchant of Venice, we're going to have um, we're going to have to get one of the guests on from that production a little later on. In that production, Antonio grabs Shylock by the scruff of his neck and screams in his face, and he's he's asking him for money at this point. I mean, you just think this guy's treated like 
toilet paper, really, isn't he? And just for doing his job. That's what I find so mad. Is like he he is then scorned and ridiculed for doing his job and applying interest for, on his loans. And Antonio and the other characters, all the like Christian characters, when they lend money, they deliberately undermine him so that he cannot get business by doing interest-free loans. So they're they're literally taking away his livelihood they're then demanding money from him which is his job and then refusing to pay it back there's there's so many problems with it and antonio is a horrible character all around he spends the whole play sulking and being miserable apart from when he's being violent and racist that's the only time he seems to have a little bit of energy and he's not being a sulky bastard or when he's with his best chum i i, I find the whole elephant in the room of this play to be fascinating and like you said it's billed as a romantic comedy and things in romantic comedies when they just have a happy ending and everything's okay so as long as you, you know you could have the most it's almost the shinless list of shakespeare plays or the closest that you get to pure anti-semitism it's you know the way that shylock is treated and, and handled throughout the play is absolutely disgusting but it all ends well because it ends with a marriage so despite going on this horrifically dark tunnel and it it seems especially prevalent talking about this now um we're currently in the week when we're seeing you know we're, we're, we're trying to you know globally put a stop to racism once and for all you know we had the horrific murder of george floyd and and this sense that i think people right now are actually saying it's not good enough just to say that you don't agree with racism you have to actually go further don't you you have to kind of take action and be really vocal about it and it feels like talking about a Shakespeare play which is so fundamentally to do with with racism and you know and as we said earlier in Venetian society which was seen as at the time extremely racist it seems like this is a problem that's just been so consistent throughout hundreds and hundreds of years and it's almost like now people are almost trying to go one step further in in reversing it I think what's really interesting is when we decided to to pick this play we normally pick our plays about two weeks in advance two three weeks in advance and we didn't realize that this play was going to be so topical this week you and I have found it quite difficult and also we've had quite a lot of conversations being like you know how do we approach it how do we talk about it because obviously you can't we can't solve anything by talking about it on a podcast um and you personally you know your family is Jewish like and you find this a non-anti-semitic play but I know that I have other Jewish friends who would say it, it massively was. I mean, have you had conversations about this particular play with your family? Yeah, I have. I mean, I'm not, I'm quite lucky in the sense that I, you know, we're not a practicing family. You know, we don't, I, I, my mum's Jewish and that ultimately in the Jewish faith makes me Jewish. And, um, you know, we, we, we're not practicing, we're, we're not actually a religious family. So I've never actually experienced real anti-semitism in that form you know I, I haven't gone to jewish schools i haven't lived in strictly jewish areas so i haven't really i've been quite lucky so i could never for a second put myself in the position of being the persecuted as it were um but we have we have spoken about obviously anti-semitism we've discussed it we've we've, we've talked about why do we have this hatred for the other or the uh, you know this 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 kind of volatile collective wolf pack mentality against people that we don't trust or we fear and it's not just jewish people is it i think in any kind of time of huge economic uncertainty or any time when we you know we're worried for ourselves whether it's the great depression in the 30s 
um, or whether it's, uh, you know, the, the credit crunch or whether it's the depression in Germany that triggered, um, you know, the rise of Adolf Hitler, which he, you know, profited off the back of. It's, it's you know, it's so easy to find a scapegoat, isn't it? So I think, yeah, we've had conversations about it, but I think it goes beyond, um, you know, an anti-Semitic thing. I think you see it with, you see it with Muslims, you see it with refugees, you see it with, you know, with the black community, you know, you see it, it's, it's, it's always been a, a problem throughout history. I think look at a group of people and say, you know, these are the people that are going to threaten your livelihood. They're going to take your jobs. They're going to, you know, your money's not going to be safe when these group of pe- this group of people are, are around. And it's a very ugly thing that re- seems to rear its head every few years. One of the main themes of this story is mercy. In the final um, court scene, you have all of the Christian characters which are coming together with Shylock, and they're basically saying, yes, even though you're contracted to receive your pound of flesh and legally that's the right thing to do, you should show mercy and relieve him of of his, his payment. Which, when you're putting it, on paper like that saying yeah let's not um kill this this christian man uh because he can't pay you the money show him mercy be a good person it seems very very simple and i suppose like a an audience during shakespeare's time would probably most likely be on on the side of all the christian characters and the fact that shylock refuses to show mercy then turns the audience like further against him sort of pushing more to say you know, look, he was this evil Jew all along. He's been given the opportunity to, to redeem himself and show mercy, and he doesn't. So Portia's then total destruction of him seems justified. I guess the only sort of mercy that you could say that the characters at the time were showing Shylock is that, you know, he doesn't have to die and he can become um, a Christian and his soul is saved. Is that the kind of mercy that you would accept, Jimmy? If somebody yeah. offered you that, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, it's so nice of you to, to 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 let me live and strip away absolutely everything that I stand for in life and take my daughter and take everything away. I think it's almost in a way more cruel. We're going to take everything that means something to you, strip you of it, and keep you alive to to suffer, knowing that you're a lesser product of yourself. I mean, it was interesting actually, and we did a um, production at university where I, I played Shylock. It wasn't necessarily the best production. I I played Shylock, which obviously catapulted the whole thing massively downhill. But no, it was interesting because at the end of that, in the courtroom, after the courtroom scene happened, I screamed off stage to show to to kind of raise the question mark to the audience of whether I was tortured and killed, or you know whether something happened to me and what that was. And there is always this this question mark over what actually happens to Shylock and you're right there's no evidence that he's killed but it's I think there's so many different productions that choose different avenues of ways to go with that it's again it's one of Shakespeare's very very deep and dark mysteries to the play so we've got this this situation you know the dark side of the play where Shylock's approach for money um, because Bassanio wants money so he lends the money uh, but Antonio uh, doesn't know if he can repay it. So Shylock then says, well, I'm going to take a pound of your flesh if you can't repay it. Then Shylock's daughter leaves him, which is fascinating. So this is, I suppose, the light, fluffy side of the play, the nice romantic side in this, with this incredibly dark undertone. Um, there's a love story going on between Lorenzo and Jessica, and it's all, it's all hunky-dory. So Jessica, Shylock's daughter, leaves him, 
to be with Lorenzo. What do you make of this side of the story of everything else going on? I suppose the light side of it. Do you think that it's, I mean, if you remove the Shylock element, do you think this story holds up as a kind of nice other story? Or do you think it's just thin? I think it's thin. I, I I really don't feel like it's a it's a great story. Um, and without Shylock, I suppose you don't have any of the sort of the the characters going undercover as as you know different genders and and whatnot, and sort of their feeling of um, success and winning over somebody else. You mentioned that his daughter um, Jessica leaves after this agreement about the pound of flesh, and I, there's this association that like that's his own flesh also leaving him so it's like the pound of flesh his own flesh leaving and then there's this this strange thing between Bassanio and Antonio where Antonio is going to take the punishment of having his own flesh taken for his friend who's the one who wants the money and I don't know about you I love my friends very dearly but I wouldn't do that necessarily for just a friend I would do that for my husband and I think you would do that for your girlfriend and apparently in wedding ceremonies during Shakespeare's time there's this like whole sentence written down about the two people become one flesh so there's 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 all of like around this like pound of flesh um, imagery there are all different associations and connotations I think that that's really interesting all of the imagery and all of the sort of like symbols in this play are the thing that I find more interesting than like the boring couples running off to to be in love together. That is so interesting, actually, about the that that idea of, of that's his pound of flesh that's been taken away from him. Never really fully thought of it like that. Like that's it's a part of him that's been removed, and it's almost like how far can you go? How much do you want to punish this man? What else are you going to remove from him? You know, it's just it's incredibly horrible, isn't it? And what do you think about Portia? She's a very strong female character. She holds her own. She spends most of the play rejecting suitors until she falls for Bassanio. And then she dresses up and disguises as a doctor in the courtroom scene and comes out with all the terms against Shylock. What do you make of her as a character? I think on paper, you know, she she's obviously very intelligent. That's always a great quality for, for any character. But I, she doesn't use it for the right reasons. And I think that's her downfall. You know, just because you're intelligent and beautiful doesn't mean that you're a good person. And she's she's not. She enjoys the game of the courtroom because she's there dressed up as a man. And she absolutely obliterates Shylock, as we've said, in a very, very callous and cold way. And then she does this very strange thing where she is given um, Bassanio a ring. And before she's gone to, to see him as the doctor, he doesn't recognise her because in Shakespeare plays, nobody ever sees through the thinly veiled disguise. She then takes the ring off of him, but she has made him promise as herself not to be parted from the special ring that she has given him and then convinces him later to give her the ring when she's dressed as a man. And then when he comes back to see her to be like, everything's fine, don't worry, Antonio's not going to die and tells her the story um, of what's happened she then is like, where's the ring? You've obviously had an affair and cheated on me. And she totally like gaslights him. And is like, oh, where's, where's the ring? Did you give it to another girl? Knowing full well that she has it. Like, I just don't understand. And then as he's trying to defend himself, she's like, oh, no, don't worry, I know, it's okay, I've got it. 
like my brain is like why would you do this to somebody you're supposed to love like this is not how you treat people it, it, it's so questionable like so many of the moves that she that she makes in the play we also see many examples of the restriction of women in the play so you've got Portia and Nerissa, who's like her mate, who have to dress up as men in order to get these things across. They have to disguise themselves as men. Portia's restricted by her father's will. When she marries, all her land still goes to Bassanio, despite this incredibly big, powerful moment. Jessica is restricted by Shylock. There, There is always a sense that despite all these opinions and things like that, they're under the umbrella of male law and male power. Do you think that Shakespeare, interesting question for you, do you think that Shakespeare was, co- like, do you think this was just the way the world was at the time? And actually Shakespeare didn't really bat an eyelid about this. And he just wrote it as, you know, without any opinions. It's just, of course, yeah, they, they're great characters, but they, of course, have to, answer to men because that's what society is or do you think he was actually commenting on the fact that this isn't right i want to say that he's making a a comment on it and that it's not okay and this happens but unfortunately this happens to all of the female characters in all of the plays you know we we talked about it last week when we did as you like it where in the end rosalind goes goes back to being a married little woman and carries on with her lovely life and i'm like yeah fine if you did it for one play but i just feel like it's it's maybe he's like trying to be a little bit sort of like oh this is the way it is but then it's conforming to what his audience would have wanted to see happen i feel like the plays always end with what is an audience and crowd pleaser. And it's fascinating, actually, when you say that, that he actually alters it for his audience, knowing their views, because that could be one of the reasons why he's made this a comedy. I mean, comedies, comedy at the time, you know, at the time just means it's got a happy ending. It doesn't, you know, this whole idea that we have of a comedy now, which is a kind of laugh out loud belly romp, um, wasn't the case. It just meant that there was a happy ending. So I suppose, I suppose you could call Shawshank Redemption a comedy, technically, if it's if it all ends happily. goes this incredibly dark journey, but it's a comedy. It just seems a bit an, an odd uh, choice of words. But if that's the case, what, you know, because, you know, at the time it was an anti-Semitic society, obviously. And I think it'd be interesting to know what audiences at the time thought of Shylock. But maybe Shakespeare was playing to there there is an argument so he was playing to those audiences that he's put this commentary in the play about racism but if he ended it as a tragedy people may be very angry they may say well hang on a second no shylock's a bad man or whatever but by ending it in in with a marriage he's kind of saying hey look you know it's just a comedy it's fine but i'm going to get away with putting this viewpoint in on the journey there which is hopefully going to instruct and inform you in some way there's there's so many different ways you can go with it but it is so strange that it has that ending uh despite the fact that it's so dark in general the play is so very strange there's i know it's called the merchant of venice and that's about antonio but there's not really a lead character there's no one person who like this is their story it's kind of all of all of these people are equally happening so there's no one that you're kind of championing ever it's like watching a Woody Allen film isn't it you're just kind of like you go along with it and you're like oh oh this is happening now okay that's happening yeah and 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 all they're all kind of side characters aren't they it's like we kind of check in with each of them on their journey and one of the things that I found so interesting about Shylock playing him was that he was he comes on I think he comes on in the play five times like he's not he's not it's this isn't the main character this is a side character 
I think all the characters are to an extent, but it feels like it doesn't. It feels like the opposite of a play. Like you know, structurally, it feels like the opposite of you know the Hamlets and the Macbeths. These plays where we follow a protagonist and they going on a journey from A to B, and we're we're either rooting for them or we're not. You know, this is a play which is it's, it's an ensemble play of people on their own different journeys, veering off down different roads, and we're kind of checking in with them occasionally. And it just feels like, like you say, it's interesting. I, you know, someone said to me. A, a while ago there are no good characters in this play and i think it's i i didn't know whether i'd agree with that at the time because i think shakespeare doesn't really judge his characters but i think that's true in the way that shylock is painted as definitely i think the most sympathetic but again there are things that he does which are quite unpleasant i certainly don't think any of the other characters are a, a, a good i think it's very hard to find the good in, in other characters you you say you you find him the most sympathetic, but I think that's because we're a we're you know we're in twenty twenty. An audience back in Shakespeare's time, do you think they would have found him the most sympathetic, or do you think they would have literally like cheered at his fall down? Yeah, I think I think the latter. I really really do. I think you know we've got to you know it's very easy to kind of look at things through twenty first century eyes, isn't it? And actually look at society back then. Look at what people thought of people from other cultures. At wit, you know, we spoke about witchcraft with the Beth, didn't we? Where people were put to death if they were seen as possessing qualities of witchcraft and people were beheaded. I think, yeah, I think Shylock as a Jewish man was painted at the time as 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 unpleasant. And I I it, it it's a it's a constant question mark. You know, we will never know what Shakespeare thought of Shylock. I certainly think, to answer your question, the audiences at the time wouldn't have liked Shylock simply on the fact that he was Jewish. I think your standard Elizabethan mob, I think they would have been particularly open-minded. It certainly wouldn't have been like a, you know, an Almeida or Royal Court audience in, uh, in well, I was going to say 2020, but there are no audiences at the moment because we're in a pandemic, 2019. Yeah, I imagine they're the kind of people that would be part of the Britain First Facebook group. Exactly, yeah. You'd have Katie Hopkins in the front row throwing throwing egg at him, I'm sure. Uh, quite, uh, quite like a depressing play for us to cover this week, but I think, you know, all things considered. Yeah, yeah. it, feels, it, it certainly feels like it's landed against the backdrop of um appropriateness for sure and um but you know it's at the same time it's it's a fascinating play there's so much mystery behind this play and we will cover what that mystery is in part two of this podcast which will be released at the same time next week on friday there was so much we had to cover with this play so we've made it a two-part episode our first one yet and our interview will be included in next week's episode as well so please join us and come back for the second part of the merchant of venice stay safe